Welcome uh, to the delivery of news in the 21st century, uh, the evolution of TV news, particularly for younger audiences. My name is Kate Bulkley. I'm a business journalist. I'm based here in the UK, despite my accent. And I write for broadcast and The Guardian and places like that. And I'm very interested in what's going on with uh, news and how news is being consumed and how it's being created maybe differently than it was before. And of course, the role of television news in this new world that we have, this new online connected device world. So when we talk about young people, many of whom are in this audience tonight, there's been a real step change in how they consume the news. And social media is, of course, the big winner. According to the fifth annual Reuters Institute study published last June, more than 50% of all web users use social media for news each week, with increasing numbers saying it's their main news source. Of the 18 to 24-year-olds surveyed across 50,000 people in 26 countries that Reuters surveyed, 28% cited social media as their main news source, compared with 24% for television. If this was not enough to worry the traditional news providers, the TV news providers, the rise of fake news online has made the trends even more worrying. Because for those concerned about the important role of news in educating and informing citizens, there's a concern about the role of fake news and alternative facts. So how are news providers keeping up with these con con um, consumption changes? How is TV news adapting to, to reach younger audiences? And what of the digital native news providers, like Vice News and BuzzFeed? Are they stealing a march on television news? Uh, the panel that we're going to have tonight is a good panel because it kind of goes across the piece. I'm going to start with Dave, introducing Dave. Dave gives us the far side. He is the director of digital for Sky News and Sky Sports. He's a vet veteran in the digital space, having worked in it for 16 years, 14 of them at Sky. Dave is responsible for developing Sky's partnerships with the tech giants like Facebook, and his team has produced digital products across both news and sport for their audiences. Next to Dave, we have Louise Ridley. She is news editor, long form and special projects for BuzzFeed UK. Louise is a journalist with a background including the BBC, Campaign Magazine, and the Huffington Post. Louise is head of long form and special projects, and she's been there about four months. She says, though, that she really knows what's going on, right? <laughs> OK. <laughs> Next to Louise, we have John Lawrence. He's digital editor for Channel 4 News. He's responsible for digital output for Channel 4 News. He works as a producer at Sky News and, has a, and is a video planner at the Telegraph Media Group. Uh, he's been at C4 in his current role for just over two years, right? And last but not least, we have Natalie. Malinarich. Malinarich? Yep. I say it right? They're okay. She's a 17-year veteran of the, of the BBC. Natalie has worked across different areas of news, interactivity, and online, as well as radio. But interestingly, she's never worked in TV, which I think is fascinating. She is the launch editor of BBC News app's Videos of the Day. This is a vertical video experience made for smartphone users and launched in November just of last year. So it's a relatively new product for the BBC, and I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit more about it, right? Um, there's a couple of topics that I, we've talked about we're going to talk about, and then at the end, sort of, sort of 15, 20 minutes from the end, I'm going to open it up to you all. So I want you to have questions as well, right? So just to get us started, if we assume, panel, and I'm going to go to John first, if we assume that young people are still interested in news, what kind of news are they interested in? Because there's a whole thing about, oh, young people don't want serious news. They don't want political news. They don't, you know. Yep. Is that true? 
I actually don't think that that's necessarily true at all. I think that, you know, last year we're very proud to say that we had two billion views on Facebook, and our two most viewed videos were actually unique films from Aleppo. So material that had been gathered on the ground, you know, through a very kind of strict editorial process, stringently verified, but, you know, uniquely emotive, moving material of the sort that, you know, no other UK broadcaster had. And so it was absolutely fascinating to see that audience really, you know, engage with it and to see it take off in such, you know, huge quantities online. Two of those videos had over a million shares, hmm. you know, not views, but shares. And I think that if you take your audience seriously, whether that's a young audience or an old audience, they'll respond in kind and you'll reap the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Natalie, when you hear that, is the difference how you approach the story? Because I know that you have done, obviously, the Aleppo story was a big, yeah. a big story. It was an ongoing story. It seemed like there was a headline every day from Aleppo. Is it how you approach the story that's different for younger audiences or for different devices? I think it depends. I mean, I think that there's an issue with, with the way a lot of us do news, which is quite incremental. And I think for if you're not following the story closely, then you don't understand quite what's the difference between today's story and yesterday's story. And I think it's, it's about thinking how you tell that story and break through maybe the fatigue that sets in very often with long-running stories. So, you know, what do you need to explain? What is that key human story that you could bring out to show what's going on? So I think it, it is in the telling of the story, but I agree with John. I mean, young people are very, you know, into news and follow news. You saw Brexit, US elections, you know, huge audiences for that. Hmm. So, um, Dave, when we talked on the phone, you talked about creating an audience news funnel, almost like how do you get them in yeah. and how do you move them around? Talk a little bit about that, because that's kind of interesting. It's, it's a different way of approaching a younger audience, an online yeah. audience. So I, so I think, so first and foremost, I think you do young people a massive discredit if, you say they're not, if we say they're not interested in serious news. Um, I think what, what the audiences have these days, when we're talking about stairs, is just a lot more choice which means that we have to work a lot harder to go and find that audience. You know, we can't expect that audience to come in at 6 o'clock and turn on the TV uh, or watch the 9 o'clock bulletin. It just doesn't happen. You know, there is so much choice and, and so many platforms and so many ways that um, you can get this content and also so many ways to participate and kind of have a view and have some feedback in that content. And that's something as a broadcaster that we, you know, we haven't traditionally done. As a broadcaster, we've traditionally spoken to you. So I think our approach is... is is how do we tell stories across all of these platforms in a way that's consistent with Sky News and the way that Sky News, um, the, what the Sky News brand stands for and how we want to tell that story. But how do we go and find that audience and ultimately how do we make it work best for us? So you know, we'll, we'll plan a story, we'll open it up in the morning and it'll say, right, okay, what's working on what platforms and how are we going to do it? Um, and essentially what that gives us is it gives us a kind of cool story on the TV, but then we can bring that story alive in many, many different places. Um, and then really it's the strategy of ultimately we're better if that, that viewer, that reader, that user comes to a Sky News product because once we've got them in there, we know they're more habitual, we know they're more loyal, we know they're more frequent. Um, you know, we are a commercial business and there is, there is a commercial line to everything we do. Um, so ultimately it's kind of how do, we, you know, how do we manage all of that choice? How do we go and find that audience? How do we bring it in? How do we make it make sense? How do we produce content for those specific platforms? But ultimately, how do we get them to consume a Sky News product more often and more frequently? What's interesting about what you just said, and I'm going to come to you, uh, Louise, is that you've talked about sort of starting with the news, the television news product, almost saying that we, that's where we start because we are, come from broadcasting. And then we look at how to maybe... We start, we start with the story. You start with the story, yeah. okay. And ultimately, yeah. 
clearly our experience is bringing that story alive on TV, um, but there are ways of bringing that story alive and telling that story that's not traditional TV. Right. A lot of it still is audio-visual, so it's people watching video. Right. So essentially watching telly, but they just happen to be watching telly in a three-minute <laughs> clip device. on Facebook or yeah. on their phone. But ultimately, they, they, we generally will tell that story with video. Um, there are different ways that we bring it alive and we can talk about what we do with Snapchat and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But we start with the story and then we, we kind of work out where's the best place for us to tell that story and on what platforms. So Louise, when you hear that, I mean, that, is that essentially what BuzzFeed is doing? You're a digital native platform in the sense that you're not, you don't have television news broadcasts that you're aiming towards like John does, who's got a seven o'clock mm. cast every night that he's got to create. You know, no, you're not the BBC doing television. So how, how is it different for BuzzFeed? Uh, it's, it's very different in the same way we're not, not a broadcaster moving online. We're not a newspaper moving online. BuzzFeed has always been uh, online. So we have 75% uh, of our audience are millennials. 70% come from mobile and 70% come from social media. So we are already in that space that I'd say a lot of these guys are probably 70% come from social media. Yeah, so it's a given. It's not... It's not something we're moving towards. We're in that space and we're experimenting within it. We definitely know, don't know everything yet. I'd say coming back to the question of um, are young people interested in news? Yes, I agree with all the panel. They absolutely are. I don't see any evidence otherwise. And I think any publishers or broadcasters that have said that in the past, it's because they haven't been communicating it in the right way, as we've been saying. I think uh, so BuzzFeed is only three, three years old, four years old in the UK, um, but we're investing heavily in news, investigations and politics and things like that. And that's because we get the views. So, Do you think of yourselves as a competitor to a lot of these sort of TV companies who now do digital as well or not? Not, not really, to be honest. We'd see the bigger competitors, I guess, as um, other online-only publishers and often newspapers, because actually a lot of BuzzFeed content as well as video is written as well. So we're very much our, our sort of standard So you compete with having your post? Yeah, I'd say so. What, Vice? Like I don't know. I suppose Vice is more video. Vice is pretty video, I'd say yeah. there. So Vice is a really interesting model. I know we don't have anyone from them here, so I can't speak for them, but it seems they're aiming in some ways back towards TV. They, they've managed to have a TV channel and documentaries and things, so they... For them, that's part of their model, and BuzzFeed's quite different. It's very heavily written, and we do video as well, so we're quite. Which do you say is leading it, the video or the written? I know you're doing you work in the long form. They're written. actually very yeah. I mean, I, I work with mainly written stuff in terms of long form. I'd say they're different. So on our site, you won't find that much video because most of the video we just put straight on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram. We don't put we don't put it video on BuzzFeed almost at all on on the BuzzFeed website unless it's very relevant to the story because. See right. that you'd either something would work better as a story or it works better as a video, so we don't do both, mm -hmm. which I'm sure is obviously what the BBC applies and, and everyone else does as well if, yeah. if it works yeah. that way. You've got this um, let's talk about uh, tone and presentation. We've almost gotten into it a little bit already because you know, when Dave was talking, he was saying, you know, we, we do different things depending on what device we're going towards. Um, Natalie, if we start with you, you know, what, what's changed in terms of what I would call the craft? of producing news. You know, how are you changing the tone of something that might be on television versus what might be online? I mean, we've done a lot of work um, with audience groups about how, how they see us. And what comes back is that for many people, TV is quite a formal medium. And they, you know, they see a presenter talking or a reporter talking to them, but there's, there's no opportunity to talk back. And I'm not saying that necessarily with digital video you can, but I think it's about <laughs> feeling that you're part of a conversation or that actually someone's imparting information to you in a much more 
you know, in a friendlier way. Mm. So we've done a lot of work with you know, the same people who work on TV, but actually how that translates into digital. And the video I brought is an example of a, a really fantastic investigation done by The Ten uh, with David Shookman, um, who's our science editor, in which the, the TV version was a seven-minute package, which is you know, very TV-ish, I guess, um, <laughs> and it has his narration on it. And the digital version has completely torn the piece apart and remade it and really thought about how an audience would consume it on a phone. I mean, it is made for phones. It doesn't work on desktop. It's really made for phones. But the tone is very different and the pace is very different as well. And it's one of these vertical videos. It's vertical. You, you yes, it only like works this. vertically as well. Right. Okay. Should we, should we show the clip? Wow. Very interesting. How, I mean, it, it's because of the presentation, it's, it's a very different kind of experience. Although I noticed you still have the bong, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> what, how, what was the usage of that? I mean, how many people actually consumed it? Where did you put it? Was it on Facebook? So, was it on your app? So we put it in our app, we put it on Facebook, and it was our most successful Instagram stories to date, so it was some chunks up of it to, yeah. to go on Instagram stories. So it was very engaging. And what we're trying to do is make, you know, quite obviously the, the user part of the experience. So it was a good way of communicating how the investigation took place over a year, but also I mean, this is a clip from the, the whole video is about four minutes. It's probably one of the longer ones we've published vertically. Um, but it also, you know, what happens to these chimps. So you, at the end, you do see some very cute poor chimps. Mm. Did, um, I mean, did people watch the whole four minutes or the whole, was it, you said four minutes. Was it four minutes? Seven, I think it was, it was about, seven minutes. Seven minutes was the TV version. Okay, this version so was about four, four minutes. Yeah. So did people watch the whole thing or did they just dip in and out or...? Um, I don't actually have the numbers for how, for how long people st stuck with it, but I would imagine that with something like that, it would do pretty well. When you see this, Louise, do you think, oh, that looks like the kind of stuff we're doing, or you know, how is it different from what BuzzFeed is? I hadn't seen it, and I thought it was very cool. Um, it's, I suppose we're not really... We translate some things that way, but it's almost more, rather than showing how we've done an investigation, which we do do, we've done things like... Um, told the story of a migrant traveling across the Mediterranean via uh, WhatsApp messages. So similar to the WhatsApp section of that, we are kind of showing the text that we had got, because that's how we were reporting, is by talking to people through WhatsApp, um, and displaying it in that format and having it come up and things like that. I thought, I thought that was a really interesting idea, and I hadn't seen it. And the vertical filming is obviously exactly what you want on mobile and makes a huge difference to how you uh, consume video. I wondered, I, I don't know if you can tell me more, looking at it, as a user, I might have been frustrated and tried to push buttons. Was yeah. it just a video, or was it video just? Yeah. I might have tried. To it was push just a video, and actually, when you watch, watch people in the newsroom, then we trying to. I was trying to yeah, tap my. That would be the one, the one you. floor I would pick in that. <laughs> so but it wasn't truly interactive. It wasn't interactive. It was just mimicking your phone. Mm. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. That would have been frustrating, I think, a little bit. I mean, I, if, you, if you could make it interactive, and actually have, have different paths, that would yeah, be amazing. Yeah. A lot more work, but a lot more. What do you think about this interactivity bit, or or the tone of voice that has to be different? So I think what is fundamental about that video, which I think is brilliant, is not seeing social media as a place you use to get someone to go somewhere else. So, you know, social media is a way of promoting your website or, you know, as a way of marketing mm -hmm. even your TV program, but as a kind of destination in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rather than trying to get people to come to you, actually, you know, you go to them with your serious news, with your values, with your, you know, storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's when you kind of do that and reach out that you'll get a huge response. Mm -hmm. Was, I mean, Dave, when you saw that, I mean, is it all about pacing and 
text and different uses of music? I mean, what is it that makes this work on these other devices as opposed to television? So I think it, um, when we talk about kind of crafting, it, you, you're, you're producing content for the device and the, the, the way that, you know, the, the, case, the scenario the user finds themselves in. So, you know, vertical video, use of um, quantum subtitles, what is it, 80% of people are on mute when they're browsing, something like that. Um, use of kind of, you know, spoofing text and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, yeah, that, that was, that's a really good example of how you craft a piece of content and tell a story for that audience and for that device. Um, and then if it, you know, it, it forms part of a wider package that, you know, seven minutes lives on TV, four minutes lives, this is probably about as far as you're going to push someone, four minutes, three and a half minutes, they're yeah. probably then zoning out. Um, and I think that's the kind of stuff that we do. Um, you know, we, we've tracked, you know, we've been on board a boat with some migrants, we've been into um, a kind of the, the dungeons in ISIS and all of that kind of stuff, and we've taken our reporters into those environments, you know, with... You know, a Facebook Live or you know, filming in vertical, it's quite grainy, but it works because it works for that, that kind of use case and um, it's what the user expects. But it's not, it's hard work crafting all that stuff. It's, it's, not, it's not easy. You can't just go and do it. Yeah, that's a piece of content that's filmed. Someone then post produces it. They produce it for a vertical. They might do it in Square. They might do it for an Instagram. You know, for Instagram. It's kind of, it, it's not, it's not simple task to go and do that, and it's not resource. It's quite resource heavy yeah. um, to to build that kind of stuff. But I think it looked fantastic. I think it, yeah, it's, it's the really exciting way to kind of tell stories with these platforms and these devices. How big are your teams that are putting this stuff together? So we've got. We don't really have. So we don't have a digital team in Sky News. We have um, sort of multi-skilled producers, some of which clearly know platforms better than others. But we've tried to evolve our team. Um, as we said, to tell stories across all of these platforms. We do still have a specialist social team um, because I think you need, you need to understand the platform and the audience. You need know, to develop and build an audience yeah. to, to the point here about, um, you know, it's not just... I still think there's a world for referrals and promotion because no one's getting rich on Facebook and we, we talk about that later, but there's a lot of power going there. Yeah. I still think the referral still works. Um, but you know, we've got a team that's dedicated to building um, Snapchat Discover okay, editions. Yeah. We work purely on Snapchat because, right. again, that's a different platform. It's a different CMS. That's right. You it's told me there's like 12 stuff. people that are just. Yeah, we've got 12 Snapchat. people turning. I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, How many people on. you got working on Snapchat, Louise? I don't think we have any working. Just <laughs> no, you have nobody. Okay. I was going to say that the question of resource is really interesting because BuzzFeed not having the sort of television journalists or on hand, we don't have that resource. So. You say, obviously, something like what you put together is resource-heavy, which makes sense. But I was thinking how at some of the anti-Trump protests in London, we sent a reporter and a photographer. The photographer took great pictures. The reporter, a really young reporter, she's about 22, and she made some videos. She did an Instagram story. She did a Snapchat story. She did all this stuff, and it got millions and millions of views, and it was just her. Just that was it. That was all our coverage, and we got millions and millions of, you know. So it's interesting to compare the... The, I guess the tendency in some ways of, of TV broadcasters to put lots of resources into something when you don't have to. You obviously will get better quality in some ways, but you don't have to to get people's attention necessarily. I think that's quite interesting. It's about investing in the stories you care about, isn't it? So this was kind of BBC exclusive. It took, yeah. took a year's investigation. It's worth mm. putting... And that's kind of a, a, a way of promoting that yeah. investigation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I, think, I think that's a really good point because it's almost like you have to pick, pick your fights. I mean, mm. John, I know that on the phone... We talked, and you said there are certain things, there are certain no-go areas for your, your team, for your digital team. Yes. Yeah, so, what mean, are the no-go areas, and why? I mean, 
royal sport technology, basically. You know, <laughs> we're a team of royal 12. sport and technology. Okay. <laughs> but you know, we're a team of twelve. We have a and very, animals, right? Yeah. Uh, occasional animals. Occasional but animals. Okay. You know, I think we had a one a week rule for a bit, and that sometimes slides. <laughs> but I think the really important point is that we, as Channel Four, have a very strong public service remit. You know, we are empowered to innovate, to reach, you know, young audiences. You know, not necessarily to do that much breaking news. That's a kind of, you know, very crowded market from, you know, Dave and Natalie. So we kind of really try and focus on the areas where we can add something unique and distinctive, and that's something that the audience responds to as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to share our videos because they're unique and distinctive, and they can use that to make a positive statement about themselves. Talk us um, for your clip. Let's yeah. show your clip now. So t tell us about what that was about. So I guess the material that's made in my team is a kind of mix of some of the sorts of things that, you know, Natalie just showed. So TV packages and investigations, re-edited for Facebook. There's some, you know, relatively small amount of breaking news agency footage. There's fact check videos. So that's something that we've kind of really geared up this year. We have a kind of fact check team who originally focused on checking the claims of politicians and now focus on fake news as well. So they're very busy. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes there are just standalone things where someone comes in and has an idea and says, well, I think this would be really cool. And we think, well, if you think it'd be cool, maybe other people will as well. Let's give it a try. <laughs> and yeah, this is kind of one of those examples. So how did that work? I mean, did that, did that resonate with your audience? Yeah, so that had, I think, about 5 million views. But mm -hmm. I guess it's an interesting one because it couldn't look less like a television package, you know, with your kind of traditional reporter narration or your expert interview or piece to camera or whatever. But at the same time, you know, we're really proud of it because it couldn't be more Channel 4 in terms of, you know, representing diverse communities, you know, being kind of challenging, you know, thinking about what it means to be British in a different way. Mm. And we were kind of really pleased that the audience responded as well. Did they share it? I mean, did you find that they were actually moving it on? Yeah, so um, we had a kind of fair number of shares and people saying all kinds of things. So mm. saying, you know, that's surprising or that's different or wow or kind of whatever really. And we always kind of delve in to see what people are sharing mm -hmm. and kind of what they're saying when they share it as well. Mm -hmm. I always tell producers, you know, you'll find your next story in the shares or in the top comment, or you'll find a case study or someone who'll respond to it. So mm -hmm. we really kind of delve into that mm -hmm. as a way of commissioning further. It's a good idea. Natalie, when you look at something like that, I mean, it seems to me that it's not really a bluffer's guide, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a here's an overview of, uh, uh, let's say, a snapshot of how mm -hmm. we can look at 100 Britons, how we look at our country. Do, how, what's the role of sort of informational these kind of things. I mean, do you think that's important or? It, I think it's hugely important, but not just for young people, I think for everyone. I mean, mm. that background, like, I, I, you know, I'd seen that and I still, I couldn't remember it. It's, it's just a useful reminder and you could, you could use that, you know, many occasions, I guess, over a year when the stats still stand. And I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, and why not? You know, and I, and I think there is a lot, I think we, we often assume a lot of knowledge and I'm not saying that actually people don't understand things, but. You know, I know in the news when we talk about the Cold War and then you turn around to see someone who left school, you know, maybe three years ago, like, do you know what the Cold War was? Like, well, I heard about it at school, but that's about it. And we just have, as journalists, I think a lot of time we have these kind of shorthand mm. of things like Cold War or, you know, nuclear things, and people just don't understand them. I also think context is really important to understand, particularly in these days, just mm -hmm. the background of things. Mm -hmm. And being able to, to communicate that in an entertaining way is, is really important because you can be really dull about it and you can just read out you know, a bunch of stats and have someone just standing there going, well, you know, 
three Brits were employed by the NHS. And, yeah. and that's really, <laughs> you know, you want to watch that whole video, you want to get to the end. Yeah. And, that, and the use of music and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, do you find that you're doing, I don't know, informational stuff? Or is I suppose BuzzFeed is more commercially minded. No, so. no. Um, so for video, yeah, we, we do a lot of explain. We call them explainer videos. That, and the same with posts, actually. So that's it's a really popular format. I think there's a lot of assumed knowledge online. There's a lot of people showing off about how clever they are on Twitter and, you know, in jokes where people don't bother to explain exactly how something works. So we had something that will be in a clip that I'll show you later, actually. We did a, a thing about the... US election where we had a shot glass for every single state and then pour, they poured different liquids to that BuzzFeed style very much with the young people. So like the um, green or the, or the red To show the how blue, people, yeah. how the okay. you know, electoral <laughs> college worked. Um, so no, explaining videos are really big. We do a whole real variety of things, but they're always really popular. And like we've just said, they are often evergreen, so they can be used again and again and again. And people might want to watch that in a year because they don't know about that still. So yeah, they're great. Um, Dave, let's talk about how consumption patterns are changing and what the what role all these new platforms are, particularly Facebook. I mean, Facebook, and I want you to queue up your clip as well, but because um, your clip shows a lot of different platforms where you're putting your yep. output. Uh, but like Facebook, I mean, that is a powerful platform now. They are controlling so much of the consumption. Does that worry you at all as a as a as a provider of of news? So, so I think so. I think I'll. You know, our aim is to, you have to go, you have to fish where the fish are, right? And you, you, you know, I think you, you can't ignore um, a platform that is able to generate that much consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we want to use the word power, it's that much consumption. It is where a lot of people are seeing and consuming their news. Um, so I think our, our view is that, that we want to be where that audience is, um, but it needs to fit in with a strategy that we want to adopt and it needs to be part of our overall audience development strategy. You know, we're not all in on one platform. I think that's pretty folly place to be if you do that because, you know, you, you need, when we're talking about platform especially, it's not just content, it's people who understand the algorithm and, you know, understand how to build that audience because that algorithm is changing weekly. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and it's not just Facebook, it's YouTube, it's Twitter, it's Instagram to an extent, and it's maybe Snapchat. You need to be Ahead of, try to get ahead of that algorithm and try to understand where the audience is. But I think so. It's, it's, a, it's an important platform for us. You know, we, um, I was thinking about we, Facebook Live because you were yeah. one of the launch partners. Yeah, we were a launch partner on Facebook and Live. And so in a way, you're sort of perpetuating their <laughs> dominance because you're a launch partner. I don't think so. I think for us, it's a different way of telling stories. Um, you know, Facebook Live allows us to tell a story in a different way than um, a traditional TV broadcast would be or a three-minute explainer or a three-minute video on our, our website. It allows us to, um, to get behind a story, put the audience in places where they traditionally wouldn't go, and you'll see from some of the videos in, in what we've done. Um, it's just another way of telling a story, um, but it's not the only way for us to tell that story. And so I, you know, I, don't, I don't think we're perpetuating it. I think we're using it to our advantage to, to, to tell stories that Sky News want to tell to that audience. Yeah. I noticed something in that, the, um, the clip you showed of Faisal Islam, the political editor, um, this moment when he said the Leave uh, campaign and the referendum doesn't have a plan, that was an absolute moment. And that's a great example of where I think TV can cut through because you have, still have all the top guests in the TV studios. That is where the top people are going. Mm. So to get a clip like that, get it cut right, get it out there. I remember I was working at the Huffington Post Center and I wrote a story about your clip, I'm sad to say, <laughs> and it went crazy. <laughs> um, so... And that's where, you know, yeah. cutting right and getting out fast is something where TV can still beat because you've got the right interviewees at the right time. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. So, um, Dave, when you look at this, I mean, how, 
much are people using your own app as opposed to all this other stuff? Because I know Snapchat's, you've been doing that for about 18 months. Yep. You know, you're obviously so, on Facebook. Um, so it doesn't not, matter. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't. So um, a lot, I think, um, yeah, we could probably all sit here and trade Facebook views um, for what they're worth. But uh, yeah, you, you clearly need to look into the detail of a Facebook view and what it actually means. Um, but I think, yeah, if we, as I said before, if we can get somebody into our application and we know our web audience, they are much more loyal, they are much more frequent, um, and they're much more habitual. So our job into is... Into your own application as opposed to... Yeah, into, to our, own, into <laughs> our own application. And that performs really well. Yeah, that, that's growing year on year because um, people, you know, they, they, they want some... You know, sometimes they want somebody to make sense of all this. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of choice. A lot of people kind of want someone to help make sense of that choice and aggregate them, whether it's the BBC or Channel 4 or BuzzFeed or Sky. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they are credible web tool brands that they go back to. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a huge part of our strategy um, across all of our digital estate, not just um, Sky News. So I think we, we've got the balance right. I think we, you know, we, we kind of, you know, we, we've got an audience development strategy that makes sense. We are on different platforms telling stories in different ways, but there's some sense to it. Yeah, um, and you'd and like them all to be in your app, but they're not all going to be on your apps. So you're just playing, yeah. playing the, yeah. the averages, I guess. And it's good fun. There's lots of good tools to use, right? I mean, Facebook Live is a brilliant tool to use. You know, Twitter Amplifies a brilliant tool to use. You know, Snapchat Discover is a brilliant tool to use. You can have some great fun telling stories on these platforms. Mm -hmm. um, just don't sell yourself to one would be <laughs> my piece of advice. Yeah, yeah, piece of advice. A good advice. I just think you can learn a lot from using those platforms. So yeah, you, you yeah. Just, it changes the way you do yeah. lives in general. Yeah. It's not just yeah. applicable yeah. to Facebook Live. The same with Snapchat. It change, changes the way you yeah. think about stories and you put them yeah. together and it's yeah. really useful. Yeah. We've, we've made some real changes based on what we've learned elsewhere. Um, John, when, you, when we were talking earlier, you had almost a quick guide to which platform does what kind of news best. Talk us through that because I thought that was an interesting approach do you want me to remind you or do you no 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 i'm good i'm good so i think that we really find twitter important when we have an exclusive story or a breaking story you know it's a way of owning a story to quite a big audience so when we have an investigation it's absolutely crucial and it's a way of reaching influence as, as well you know you're going to find your mp on twitter you know they may not be coming through facebook yeah um facebook we find that you know kind of emotion and identity-based content um, plays particularly well there, especially stories that speak very directly to the notion that people have of themselves or stories that people can share to show how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And on YouTube, we find, because of the kind of algorithm that Dave mentioned, we find that long-form material can do really well. So actually, mm -hmm. on Facebook, we might do a you know, one-minute 40 cut of Bruce Springsteen, and on YouTube, we'll do a 20-minute version, a kind of almost director's cut, and right. for a kind of audience that is actively searching and looking for the stuff that they're really, really interested in, that can kind of play incredibly well. And it was a kind of slightly counterintuitive realization we had. Mm. So with Yanis Varoufakis, the Greek finance minister yep. and cult figure, yep. you know, the longer version did 10 times better than the short version. Hmm. You know, People wanted to watch him riding the motorcycle in a leather jacket. No, it's an interview, oh, with, it was uh, an interview? With, only, wow. with only one camera and the 16-minute wow. version 16 took off. Minutes. Yeah. See, I mean, don't underestimate yeah. your audience, right? I mean, if you've got something that's interesting and, you know, somehow hits the core. And where there's a constituency built around it. Right, right. So, Natalie, when you look at this, I mean, we've mentioned YouTube, like, once. Yep. Is YouTube, you know, not where you want to be now? Or is it, as John says, it's for specific, longer-form 
content? How do you uh, guys view YouTube? We are on YouTube and do want to be on YouTube, but YouTube, people use it slightly differently. I think it's for people who are purposely going to look for video, which mm -hmm. isn't the case with Facebook. And it's also, it's, it's a massive search engine, really. So it just works very differently. And again, long form works much better. Actually, TV works much better yeah. than it does on other digital platforms. It's, it's very different. Mm -hmm. And how do you guys feel about YouTube? Yeah, similar. We so in terms of our the biggest platforms for video for news um, are Facebook and then YouTube for us. And we put longer things on YouTube. People have a bit more attention span. They can go into something in a bit more detail. And Facebook, as as has just been said, you're not you might not be expecting video, so you want to get to the point quite quickly. And it, it could be. Was well, you just run your channels on YouTube, right? Yeah, we stream the channel live on YouTube. We have done for some time. I think. Um, it's interesting though when you kind of you, know, you talk about YouTube and you look at the top of this panel around you know are people watching less TV? YouTube is very much about they want to get that onto a main TV screen. It's state of strategy of theirs. They're now favouring long form content. Facebook is now going to favour long form content. Yeah, you know, eight minutes plus. That's what they're going to want. Um, and who knows whether they build a TV app? But and Snapchat as well. They're yeah, starting to put yeah. together so videos kind of, that are mm, yeah. looking like a telly experience. Because my kids are and they watch. Everyone's got a story about their kids watching, but my kids watch YouTube, but they watch it on telly, right? They, they watch it on TV, and what do they think they're watching? Are they watching YouTube, or are they watching TV, or are they just watching video? And they yeah. don't really care what device, but a lot, they prefer to go to the TV because they feel it's the best experience for them, and you know, they're six and nine years old. So, um, well, of course, you're hoping they're going through the SkyQ box. And they are going through the YouTube app on the SkyQ box, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most definitely. I knew, I knew that was it. I knew that was box. it. <laughs> Yeah. Those six and nine-year-olds are smart. But I think, um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting platform, and I think yeah, it's yeah. one that we focus on as well. So, Louise, let's, let's talk about relationship with younger audiences. Has it, has it changed? How are we interacting with them? You know, right at the beginning when Natalie was showing her chimpanzee video, it wasn't true interaction. How much interaction is there? Do we need interaction? And I'm trying to get you to also queue up mm. your clip. So what, <laughs> okay. what, where, talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I think, yeah, interaction is essential. A lot of, I guess, a, a lot of our, the ways we interact are, are not so much innovative as just listening and, and listening to people where they are. So we'll look at, you know, replies on Facebook, replies on Twitter, comments, that kind of thing. A lot of people get in touch with us directly. We get a lot of emails about pieces. And I, I guess a lot of what we do is about communicating. So at BuzzFeed, we cover a lot of what we call social news, which will be a story, you know, about something that's gone viral or something. But instead of just saying it's happened, we always get in touch with whoever's created it and interview them, even if it's in a foreign language, something like that. Mm. So that's the kind of reporting element of that. And then it means we've got that conversation. And again, that leads us to more stories. So you've got really good young reporters going quite deep into things like Reddit and Tumblr, which I don't even, I didn't even know Tumblr was a thing until I came back to BuzzFeed. I thought it died many years ago. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not clearly one of those reporters, but... Um, you know, so, so people are very engaged in the communities themselves. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily just interaction through our platforms. It's actually just interaction with our young readers on other platforms as well. Hmm, interesting. Um, so do, you, do we need to queue up your clip or do we just yes, run it? Um, uh, this is just a clip showing. So I guess kind of differently from these guys, this is us showing video that we do because you may or may not be aware that BuzzFeed does lots of different video. There's a real variety from kind of silly, um, silly ones and explainers. And then we've got... One that did really well for us, which was a Facebook Live ahead of the EU referendum, which was an interview, a sort of debate, town hall style interview with David Cameron and some other politicians. And that got 7.5 million views, which I, I'm told was more than ITV and Sky's. Uh, but not live. That was, that was over what, a week or was that live? I don't know, actually. Not sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's run the yeah. clip because it's an interesting Good reach. <laughs> so BuzzFeed clip. Right. Yes, so that, that one with the newspaper, I think, had no sound because basically it was, we were discussing how... Um, 
I forget what story it is, which is now very uninformed of me. It, yeah, it was, sorry, it was the Joe Cox um, verdicts and the Daily Mail put it very far behind in their, on their newspaper about page 30-something. Everyone was saying how terrible that was online and they should have put it higher up. So we, someone had tweeted, so one of our journalists had just tweeted about this and then listed all the stories the Daily Mail had put ahead of the Joe Cox verdict. And so our, one of our editors just made a video flicking the pages and saying what had been overlooked. And so it didn't need sound, it was done really quick and it got a very large number of views. Um, so some, you know, some, you can see a lot of the stuff we do is quite, you know, it's not heavily produced, it's very rough and ready, but mm -hmm. people do respond well to that if it's the right content, I think. Mm -hmm. That's maybe what they're looking for. Let's, um, the last sort of topic area I have before I'm gonna come to you guys is um, sort of how does this changing news consumption environment uh, work with this whole sort of fake rise of fake news and alternative facts. I mean, John, I know that Channel 4 hosted an event at Westminster, I think it was last week, and there was a lot, I think you did a whole fake news yeah, thing Fake news week, week, yeah. yeah. Um, when Jon Snow was talking about all these different things and actually doing some fake news, which was very funny. Uh, what, you know, you talked about, or they talked about at this event, sort of kite marking real news. I mean, is that the way forward? And that was that going to work on these alternative platforms? I think that the really important thing is that, you know, trusted brands are needed more than ever, whether that's BBC, Sky, or BuzzFeed, actually. You know, BuzzFeed, to give them a lot of credit, have really led the way with kind of debunking a lot of the fake news out there and done a huge amount of mm. investigative reporting on it. Mm. But I think that, you know, Facebook have obviously announced a lot of measures now to kind of tackle the problem. There seems to be a lot of initiatives going on. And I think we're kind of all waiting to see where that gets and actually how kind of systematic the attempts to disrupt it, whether it's through the kind of algorithm or, you know, removing advertising, you know, we're kind of watching and waiting. But we certainly think that there's, you know, an appetite for the sorts of journalism that everyone on this panel does, you know, like no other. Mm. I mean, Natalie, when you look at this, um you know, the news is becoming more and more opinionated, it seems to me. There's lots of people screeching at other people with their sort of saying, that's the way it is. How in this kind of environment, in, with the rise of fake news, I mean, I know you have something called reality check at the yeah. BBC, but talk us through that. You know, where are you as an organization? Because you're, you're a very important player in this, the BBC. Well, we don't have opinions to start with. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Places in a slightly different, puts us in a slightly different place. Um, but there's yeah. a lot of opinion in news out there. There's so. a lot of opinion in news. And, you know, again, it becomes more important than ever that, you know, one of us here do a really good job of checking everything we put out, which we do. Um, we do have something called Reality Check, which uh, we had used for elections and referendums um, and is now going to become a permanent feature. So part of it will be about debunking, like, the, the big stories that are out there that are fake. Oh, great. But it also looks at what politicians are saying, what public figures are saying. Is that started now? So that the team exists already. There was a team from US election, you know, right. UK election, referendum and election. So now it's just becoming a permanent thing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's expanding or not. It is, yeah. It is. We're here <laughs> getting a nod from the BBC. Yeah. Good, OK. But actually, when you get those videos right, we did a lot of fact-checking in video form in Brexit. You know, they can really take off, you know, whether it's 350 million a week or myths about immigration. Actually, people love sharing that sort of stuff because, you know, they feel like they're doing a public service of getting something verified and factual out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, would you go for this kite marking? In other words, sort of saying, this is real news, something that when you put something out on, a, on a, I don't know, a Facebook or Snapchat. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the BBC and many others have been working with Google on what they call the Trust Project, which is around 
how, how, do you, how do you signal to people that something you know, comes from a reputable organisation? And that involves, it might involve some sort of kite marking, it's not quite defined yet, but it is about this is a legitimate source and therefore you're prioritised in, you know, in the algorithm and whether that's Facebook or Google. You know, a lot of people have talked about it, but so far hasn't really happened. Mm. I know BuzzFeed is part of this thing called, I think it's called um, correct, cross-check, cross-check. Mm -hmm. It's in the States. I was going to say, I think it's in the States. It's in the States. <laughs> but there's also been a move, I think, in Europe with Google and Facebook, for sure, uh, partnering up against fake news. They're particularly, the commission's particularly concerned about the French elections that are coming. Mm. There's a lot of fake news coming on. Do you know anything about what BuzzFeed's, what you're thinking about in terms of fact-checking? Yeah, I mean, you same, have as, led the way same as all other journalists, we'd be continuing to do fact-checking. In terms of reporting on it, um, as has been noted, we've done loads of coverage of fake news itself doing analysis and we've had people go to Macedonia and all that kind of thing properly, you know, going into report on the crisis. I think we're in a really interesting position for us as well because we're a relatively new news organisation in the UK. We launched in 2013 here. We're still building up that credibility. You know, it's good that lots of people know we do sort of serious journalism. But you've and that like kind of doubled thing. your newsroom in the past yeah, year. Yeah, so for us it's about obviously doing good journalism, being transparent, being direct, giving people all the information, but also hiring really good young journalists. How many people and are at BuzzFeed UK now? I think editorial, we have about 80. And 80. it's increasing rapidly. Wow. <laughs> We've doubled since 2015. Not insignificant. Um, no, not at all. Um, so, Dave, before we go to the audience for questions, um, you know, what are you guys doing about the fake news thing? I know it's a, it's a problem for the whole industry. Yeah, I think... Um, with everybody else, you know, we are a reputable news business that does all the right fact checking. Um, I think um, I think you look at if you look at particularly on the social platforms and the amount of consumption of news that is on there. I think they have they have they've realised they have some responsibilities. They're not necessarily just a platform. Um, well, remember when Facebook started? I mean, was it Mark Zuckerberg? He said, "Oh, we don't. You know, we're just a platform. We don't have any responsibility for fake news." And he really came back on that when quite got, quickly yeah, after that, that level the of presidential election of the U.S. started going, he started, mm. oh, well, maybe there we is, do need to do something. There's mm. some responsibility, and, yeah, there's some very clever people there who make that algorithm work in very clever ways, so you would hope that, um, that they're able to, to put the right measures in place that, that, yeah. that do that. Mm. Let's hope so. So let's come to you guys. Um, are there questions in the audience? Yeah. Hi, um, my name is Dina. I'm a student at the National Film and Television School. Hi, Dina. And um, I had a question for Louise. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's like a kind of skepticism around BuzzFeed being, I guess, a legitimate news source um, because of its identity of being quite lighthearted. So um, how do you guys kind of go about making, like ensuring that people know that you're a ser like you can report serious news? Without kind of alienating the audience that comes to you for more lighthearted kind of content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a really good question. And as I say, that's something we're working to kind of establish the new side of our business. If you think about it, sort of the BBC does Strictly Come Dancing, and no one questions the two sides of that business. You know, we have an entertainment side and a news side. But you're absolutely right, because we're a new business, we are working very hard to establish that and be known for that. So for us, it's things, as I said, about you know, doing proper rigorous journalism. We're hiring really young, good people, and particularly we're hiring people who are authentic voices for their communities. So we have a really diverse workforce ethnically. We have a brilliant LGBT editor. We have a Muslim reporter who's reporting on Muslim issues. And for us, that's really important to have. It makes a big difference, actually, when you have someone reporting who's part of the community they're representing. So that's, that's a really big concern for us, and I think that helps. To let you know, we've done amazing investigations. So we've got the biggest investigations team 
more bigger than any other newspaper. We've got about five investigative journalists who are full-time doing two reports a year in a dark room, cracking corruption and amazing things. We did the Kids' Company um, report um, with BBC, and we've done uh, the Tennis Racket report, which is about fixing in tennis, and we did the big thing about ASOS um, a couple of months ago, which is amazing, going into their warehouses. So we are doing profit journalism. Check it out. <laughs> there we go. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabriella. I'm a master's student at City University of London, and I have a, quest a question for Dave, because mm -hmm. your most watched video was about the panda in the snow and would you consider doing a broadcast piece about it did you does the your social media set the agenda for the broadcast too uh no it doesn't set the agenda although we did cover the, clearly yeah we covered that on on broadcast um because it was just incredibly popular and, it was, <laughs> and everyone needs a bit of you know love and fun don't they in this uh, but uh, yeah i think it yeah so we um so social media doesn't does it set the agenda no it doesn't set the agenda um, so before we, we try and set the agenda and then we use the platforms that we think are best going to bring that story alive. Like when um, you started at the beginning, you said that the story yeah. is, comes yeah. first and then you can yeah. figure out how to do the story or if you do the story yeah. on the platform, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And clearly, Panda in the Snow is ripe for um, a social media platform. This is really directed at all of you, but especially when we're... And so who are you? Often... Sorry. Oh, um, I'm Rachel. I'm a freelancer. Hi, Rachel. Um, especially when so much stuff now is live, um, do you ever feel there's a responsibility to make a decision if perhaps something's going in, t in a distressing direction to draw the line between what is factual reporting and what is basically gorism? Gorism? I've never heard that term. It's interesting. Sort of like <laughs> it's a good one, gory, right? <laughs> Bloody. Yeah. Mm, okay. So when you're doing a live something or other, who draws the line if it starts to go over the line? So we voluntarily observe um, Ofcom compliance on all of our digital platforms as well, and it's subject to the kind of same sort of protocols of, you know, referral up to senior management as television or any other platform. Mm -hmm. It's probably the same with all of you guys, right? You're all using the yep. Ofcom guidelines? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think when we started thinking about lives, what we did a lot of work was on preparing reporters so that they were, it wasn't intrusive. So you could go around with a phone and no one will notice. You go around with a big crew, everyone knows you're being filmed. Yeah. So just a lot of kind of work and getting consent and thinking about situations which you don't want to show children. So a lot of work was done, and I think you're right. I mean, it, it, can, be, it can be quite risky sometimes. I, you know. What do you guys do? Do you know? Similarly, you yes. I mean, I guess we're less likely to be, because we're UK only in terms of mainly what we cover. We have reporters all over the place doing other things. But in terms of the UK, when we do live video, yeah, we'd, we'd observe the same kind of things as in Ofcom guidelines, but also just, just common sense in terms of assessing a situation before you do the live. And, to, you know, because we're not TV as such, we can turn things off as well whenever we want to. You know, there's, again, there'll be less worries about the concept of just shutting something down if you needed to and explaining openly why that happened. You know, it would be based on instincts as well, I'd say. Okay. Um, Basim Abdallah, I'm older than most people here. But That's very... okay, we still like you. <laughs> <laughs> No one's perfect. Um, and I'm very concerned about what is termed as fake news. Mm -hmm. And I think it should, something needs to be done about it. Yeah. But as far as I remember, since I was a toddler, we always had fake news. And so who, who will actually do the Skype marking thing and say, this is real news, this is correct news? We've always had, I mean, government's always giving fake news, people giving fake news. Who's going to judge? It's not fake news, which is what I understand 
you're trying to find a way to do. This is this is what this is the hard question because you know who is going to be the arbiter of what is fake and what is real because there's a, obviously different flavors of yeah. news depending on your political, social, whatever standpoint. So it's a very good question, and I don't know. Does anyone Should have I, an answer? Well, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, and no one wants the government or, or any single body to be the arbiter of what is the good news and what is fake. Um, so I think my understanding of, of where... It's not so much good and bad. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's fake. real and fake. No, yeah. but correct I, I, correct but I think, facts and wrong facts. Yeah. Yeah. Not fact, I mean, not facts are facts. Okay. Okay. facts, not but opinions. But you can present them in different ways. But yeah. I, I think what the kite marking has sought to address, and I suspect you went over similar territory, is around the, the credibility of the organisation. So, you know, weighing things like the, the person who wrote this actually knows what they're talking about, so they are a foreign affairs expert if they wrote a piece on foreign affairs and this is their CV and... Not that you have to read the CV, but it gives a signal to the search engine. Similarly, you, know, you come from an organization that is known to be trustworthy. Therefore, that kind of weights in a certain direction. Your I mean, pictures are checked. There's an element of arrogance there. Well, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, you should, it, a blogger could have exactly the same, you know, if I'm a microblogger and I'm an expert in Southwark, there's no reason why that could not have the same weight as any other piece on Southwark. I don't think it's about the scale of the organization. I just think it's about being able to give signals to the search engine or the social platform that what you're doing is trustworthy. It's about trust, trustworthiness. So, so it comes down again, who can play the algorithms? I mean, basically, whoever can okay. manipulate the algorithm to think that they're trustworthy will come on top. Yeah, well, I this, think is, so. this is one of the yeah. reasons that people are worried about Facebook, yeah. because they do change their algorithm. And, and YouTube, they all, all the big tech companies change their algorithm to suit all kinds of needs. I, I think this is a whole huge debate, and I totally agree with you, it's mm. tough. Yeah. But I think we're all trying to weigh in and figure out how to do it. It becomes even more difficult, by the way, when you have the President of the United States who actually says things that are incorrect, believing that they are correct. So, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, it's a very difficult period, but I think it's something that we have to think about even more than ever. Yes, there's always been fake news, but now we have this quick, this socialization, this viralization, people sharing stuff. I mean, it's crazy. So, I think we've reached democratization of fake news. A democratized Jason. That's what we're at. Everybody can have their own fake news. Before, it was only a few people had the fake news. Now we all have fake news. Yeah, there's a, there's a session for you. Democratization <laughs> of fake news. Yes. I'm from yeah. uh, City University, a uh, student of broadcast journalism at City University London. Yes. Um, and I was wondering how the Ofcom-regulated uh, 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 organizations on the panel um, compete with organizations like BuzzFeed that will turn out things like unverified news like about the Trump uh, sex story and things like that and responses to that and um, whether they would welcome kite marking in that uh, in that way. Who would um, welcome it? Ofcom or? No, those, those organizations on the panel, whether they would welcome it for themselves and compete it. How, how do you see the future competing with news organizations that are online, that are increasingly partisan mm -hmm. and will feed uh, uh, unverified news? Who wants to tackle that? I just that? say we're not partisan and we don't do unverified news. Well, fake news. Yeah. Anyway. Nobody's saying how do you how would you feel about being kite marked versus sites that are disseminating unverified news? Yes, yes. I think that's what he's saying. So I think we all would love to be professional and. But anyway. Well, I think I think and we'll probably all say the same thing is you, you kind of have to believe that um, over the long term, you know, trusted, credible news brands that are producing consistent trusted, verified content on a daily basis um, will prevail. And whether that is a news brand that's traditionally, well, we're 30 years old, we are a traditional news brand, the BBC's a lot older than that, and Channel 4 is 
older than that. BuzzFeed is a new trusted, verified news brand. Um, so I think you know, my view is you, you kind of have to believe that that will prevail. Um, and we were talking about there is a, you know, technology is a great enabler, but clearly it has some issues and some challenges and you, you, you kind of hope and you believe that technology will find a solution to the distribution of that content. Um, I don't think there is one clear answer, but I think I'm not speaking for the rest of the panel, but that's my view. I also think, I mean, in BuzzFeed's case, they did actually say it wasn't independently verified. Yeah, exactly. It. So I think it is about allowing people to make, <laughs> give them enough information to make their own minds up. Yeah. I think a big thing, you know, and if you were being very hopeful, I think education is a big part of it in terms of media literacy because fake news is not published by any of our publishers or any that you've heard of. It's published on specific sites that churn out fake news. It's not that publishers you've heard of are randomly planting fake news because we are regulated and we are responsible. So it is about understanding the difference between, and perhaps, you know, if we're being optimistic, it will develop a resurgence of trust and interest in established news brands, which everyone's very worried about fading away online. But in fact, it may, may do the opposite, that people understand the difference mm -hmm. between these things. I mean, obviously, it's easy to kind of generate traffic through opinion and like Sky and the BBC, we don't do opinion online. But I think that, you know, I'm quite optimistic, actually, there are lots of other ways to get traffic as well. You know, you can get it by finding out something that no one else knows, people like sharing exclusive stories, mm. by going to a place that no one else has gone to, getting images that no one else has got, or like Louise says, you know, getting a really news-making interview. You know, all of those things, the kind of traditional strengths of the news gathering of our programme and everyone else's. Even presenting are, it in a new and different way. Yeah, exactly, like, a real asset when kind of mm. presented in a kind of mobile-friendly and social-friendly way online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hello. Um, this is, uh, doesn't in include BuzzFeed, actually, but... Um, Who are you? Sorry. I'm Tom Jordan, and I'm a TV producer, but in comedy, not, not news. Um, uh, given that your, all your platforms and your teams work digitally, but alongside a, a TV news broadcast, do you think there is any difference now between stories that would go on TV and wouldn't go on digital, or stories that would go on digital and wouldn't go on TV? Or do you think it's just all one now, and it just happens to be different platforms? That's a good question. I think that there are some differences. What do you think? So, it's a good question. So, so, yes, I think there are some differences. I think you can, as we were talking about, you can capture a moment, you can tell a story at a huge scale and really impactful on a TV screen, and perhaps you can't do that on other platforms. You know, and, um, so I think, I think, so I think, content and production and how it lives. I think there are there are different cases. Um, I think the production of that content and the teams that produce it, I think, will end up being one thing. Um, you know, like I said, we don't have a digital team. We don't have a telly team. We talk have about a your face, team. Talk about your Facebook Live thing, because that was interesting. You said that when you first started, people were just using their iPhones, yeah. and now you're actually producing it to a higher level. Yeah, so th this, is actually, this is actually quite interesting. So when you look at, because I kind of wear two hats, I wear sports and news, um, there are lots of similarities, but there are lots of differences. Um, and when we took on Facebook Live um, with our sports content, um, we were behind the scenes in the studio, guys running around with an iPhone, just grabbing time with people. Yeah. And we tried that in news. The audience loved the sports side, so weren't having it with the news side. So I, no, 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 you know, I want it to be, look like a professional production. So we actually invested time, and it's relatively easy now to, to get quite cheap kit to do that. 
um, to actually invest in time to, to make a, a Facebook Live broadcast look similar to a TV broadcast, because that is what the audience was telling us they wanted and how they wanted to consume their news. They might want a different story, but they wanted it in a familiar look and feel um, to, to a, a live broadcast. Um, now, they wouldn't say that if we were producing a Snapchat Discover edition, if we tried to stick a yeah. you know, presenter in front of a camera and start <laughs> broadcasting to you. So it's kind of you sort of learn and you understand from your audience what they do and, and, and they don't, what they do and they don't want. Um, so okay. I think, yeah, I think there are different platforms work well for different content and different contexts as well. Are there a story, is there a story, for example, John or Natalie, that you would run on TV but you wouldn't run on digital or vice versa? Well, I mean, I can give you quite an interesting example that comes from being a one-hour program and only having one correspondent in the US. So on the day of all of the funerals of the um, Charleston massacre, so um, African-Americans killed in a church by a white supremacist, so our US correspondent is there in Charleston to cover that story, and on that day, gay marriage gets legalised. So actually, we just don't have the kind of capacity to do a load of original news gathering for the TV programme on that. You know, we have to kind of tell that story in an alternative way on TV. But obviously, online, we can do as much or as little as we want on that. It's still a kind of key channel for story. You know, reaching out to LGBT communities mm -hmm. is a key part of our remit. And just because, for whatever reason, there wasn't a huge amount of original TV news gathering going on for that that day, doesn't mean we can't do as much as we want online. You know, as long as the kind of values are the same and as long as we don't compromise on those editorial values, then I think we're kind of pretty comfortable. So that was sort of a resource issue. How about, Natalie, with the BBC? Is there a story that you wouldn't, you wouldn't do on television, but you would do on digital or vice versa? So we do do different stories. So the, the big stories, we do the same stories, but I say, you know, probably there are more videos on the website about Beyonce, for example, than <laughs> go on TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the Grams, I mean in general. But, and, and the reverse is true as well. There are stories that actually are much better told in text, and we have a website which has lots of text. So why make a video that's not going to be visual? Like, what's going to make people watch that video if they have an article that does the job better? Yeah. So we, we can make those choices. Another, there was the, yes, go ahead. Hi, sorry, um, I'm Harrison. Um, I was just wondering, um, it, it seems to me like um, social media, like there's a kind of over-reliance on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and their algorithms kind of super serve niches. So your audience just gets kind of can get smaller and smaller until it's just that one individual. Um, how do you kind of hit all of those bubbles? Like how do you, is it just through sharing? Um, and also, um, is, that, is that not a bad thing overall? Is it not like if uh, Facebook changes its algorithm or like YouTube sneezes, you all kind of catch a cold? It is a problem. I mean, I'm, we've talked about the power of the platforms, right? It's a problem. It's like what Dave said, you know, the technology is fantastic. It's also problematic. So I don't know. Is there, does somebody have a... So I, I mean, I'll go back to my point is that, that from our perspective, you can't get too, you can't get over-reliant on an individual platform. I think actually for BuzzFeed, was it 75% of the audience comes from social media, but they've built the scale They've got a diverse content offering. They've got a commercial model that works that keeps their business alive. There are other businesses out there that have built huge audiences on social that actually don't mean anything. Um, and yeah, there are you know, big audiences of lots of different types of people, which isn't necessarily a good thing if you're a publisher of specific content and you want to talk to a unique audience. Um, so I think, it, I, think, I think you've just got to tread carefully and whatever works right for your business and the resources you've got. 
think it's, it's, it's not easy to manage all of those platforms. You need lots of people um, and pretty well-resourced teams who are on it and realising that it changes um, every moment. But you can't ignore them. Like, you just can't ignore them. It's, it I mean, you can't be not be on yeah. Facebook, right, yeah. guys? Yeah. I think the idea of um, audiences as, as bubbles is quite interesting as well because we, when we're assessing how well our content's done, as, as well as views, we look at this thing called social lift, which is the ratio of views that are generated through a share versus just someone looking straight at it. And often, especially with video, that's how we judge it, the share ratio rather than the number of views. But interestingly, we do a lot of what's already been mentioned, which is kind of identity-focused content, so content that's really related to you. And our, um, our buzz team, who do the kind of entertainment side, will do these things that are sort of 25 things you only know if you went to Reading University. And you think, what you think? Identity-focused content. Yeah, so, it's, so you think of that and you think, how niche? No one, you know, why would we, BuzzFeed UK, do something about Reading University? But actually, it does amazingly well, because if you went to Reading University, you'll share that with everyone you know, and they'll share that with everyone they know, and they go into these little bubbles. And so we do these terribly focused, location-focused, or identity-focused posts, and they're a really, really big thing for the, as I say, not for the news team, but for the entertainment team. And so, so it's, you can go very niche online because of sharing, because you'll get shared exactly to that audience if, if you get the right person. I mean, my favorite ever example of that were things you know if you're a Scottish lesbian. <laughs> and all the Scottish lesbians are like, this is amazing. The thing that I yeah. love the most is um, we do, we've done several posts on the Isle of Wight and the Isle of Man, and they get shared more than the population of the Isle of Man and Isle of Wight, because everyone's so excited. And if they have a friend a who goes there, they're like a piece about the Isle of Man. This is amazing. Because no one serves those tiny groups. So that's why it's quite, it becomes quite regional. It's really interesting. So what did you say about the Scottish lesbians? What was that? I, I wasn't involved in that post on Saturday. It wasn't, it wasn't a news post. It was an okay. entertainment post. So okay. It was know, a couple of months ago. Sure it was, was great. genuinely interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you learn about those groups. Yeah. It's great. So Natalie, I know that you told me you had 37 million Facebook followers for BBC. The main account. Yeah. The main account. But you say you're trying to create smaller communities now. Talk us through that. What's that about, that strategy? So the Facebook account is massive. And then what happens with that is you're trying to serve everyone with the same content, which becomes very difficult. And what we're looking for is more engagement, actually, people to comment, to share, to consume the, the, the content. And so what we've done is we've created three smaller Facebook pages, one around entertainment. So basically, also thinking about younger, essentially younger women mm -hmm. who may not be served that well by the main website. So we have entertainment, um, health and lifestyle, and education and family. Um, and we have seen pretty good engagement on them. I mean, they're, they're quite new, so maybe a couple of months. But. Interesting. So there's a, there's, that's what they're starting to do. Oh, my. Okay, a couple more. Hi, I'm Gemma. I'm from BNFTS. I study television entertainment. Um, it seems like the pattern, with a few exceptions, that um, the norm is to deliver who delivers the first news first. So is the case of fake news being who delivers the news first, or is it just... Gossip. What, do you, what is the trend that you find In terms of most like scoop-driven news? Yeah. So yeah. in terms of fact-checking, do, um, do you find that there's more people um, delivering fake news in terms of gossip, or is it who delivers it first? Okay, that's that makes sense. Let's hold that thought, and uh, then, we'll, then we'll do these two questions together. What's your... Hi. Hi. Um, I'm Madeline. I'm a freelancer. Um, in terms of video news on social media, are you ever worried that with the need to grab and sustain a viewer's attention in, what, two minutes, that even if the news comes from a reputable source, um, that it's still in a way falsifying um, the way people understand reality because 
you know, if it's extreme, do you, do you ever feel like it's creating an extreme kind of caricature version of events? Mm -hmm. Because of the way it's presented? Exactly, or? the form it takes as opposed to... Okay, so those are two interesting, so scoop-driven, you know, are you still scoop-driven? Is it about, is it gossip that's running, you know, whether you post stuff quickly? Um, and then the second question is more about, you know, even if you have a reputable source, does it, does it become falsified if it, depending on which platform it's on or how fast it gets delivered? Anybody want to come in on this? So two really quick answers. I think with fake news, people are often sharing the things that they'd like to be true. It's often kind of playing into prejudice. Mm -hmm. And actually, I've always found you can say quite a lot in two minutes. Like we sometimes cut down 30-minute documentaries into two minutes. And it's like a kind of, it's like an orange, uh, you know, an orange juice with loads and loads of oranges, basically. <laughs> but you just have to be kind of really clear Potent about what story you're trying to tell, about making sure that it's true to the spirit of the original, about making sure that it embodies your values really clearly. And, you know, sometimes with half an hour, you cut it into several different two-minute versions. Sometimes it's one. It's about exercising kind of editorial judgment, really. That's, that's also the skill of your production, editorial, editors. It's kind of, right, you need to tell the story in two minutes. Why do I need something to do in two minutes? It's because that is what the attention span is on that platform. Um, and yeah, it, it takes time. It takes time to get that right, but there are some pretty smart skills out there now, and people are doing some really good jobs in, in telling that story in two minutes, because that's what the audience wants. And how do we avoid falsification? What do you think, Louise? I mean, how do we... I think the, the lady who asked, if I understand the question right, you, you seem to be asking, is there sort of accidental fake news from people trying to publish things really quickly? I, I don't see that myself. And I, my understanding of fake news is something that's deliberately falsified, which is different. Obviously, all responsible journalists would check their information and not try and be first with an incorrect story. That, that wouldn't happen. But, um, I mean, there's always a tension, and you know, yeah, even before tension, we had social yeah. media, there was a tension to sort of, we want to be a, we want to scoop, we would mm. like to be first. I mean, television news has been classic about that. You know, when you have an election, certainly in America, it's like, who's going to call, which channel is going to call the election first and be right? And you can get, you can get into big trouble when you mm. do that. So, well, so BuzzFeed is, is very old-fashioned in that way that we're completely scoop-driven as well. Part of the way we're trying to cement our reputation is by having proper scoops and big news stories. So that's a big, big, big focus for us. And that's in your classic way that we'll only cover something if it's original news-wise. We won't follow on from a newspaper or follow on from anything else. We'll only try and get our own lead on it, our own angle on it. And, and we try and we had sort of six scoops last Saturday and we're all really, really excited that that was, that was a big deal. And that slowly builds that credibility that we're still trying to get as a, as a news, as a news organization. organization. Yeah. Okay, anything else to add upon this? I mean, I, th I think you're right. Scoops are actually original journalism, so you've invested a lot of time in them. You're not going to get those wrong. I think breaking news is often quite fluid, and the mistakes are made, but I think we're all responsible, and we all issue corrections if there is a mistake yeah. in numbers or you know, if we get something wrong with it. But that's also where trusted, credible news brands become even more important, because something breaks, Twitter goes crazy, there's all sorts of stuff going around. Where do you go to kind of verify that? You go back to a trusted, credible news brand that you can rely on to kind of help you make sense of that story and, and what is happening and what isn't happening. In a way, it's like news may help. always right, it's fluid, right? And yeah. we, are known, yeah, we are known for breaking news. That is the strength of Sky News. But people come back to us to, to try and make sense of that story. In a way, the fake news phenomenon may almost bring the pendulum back to more yeah. trusted news organizations mm. that have the depth of resource and... And even the newer ones, when you have five investigative reporters and things like that, these are all things that we really need, I think, in this very viral, social media-driven 
Mm. world. I think as well, as we, someone said earlier, you shouldn't underestimate your audience. So while it's definitely true that attention spans are short and are short in many places, part of my job is uh, long form, which is really, really long pieces of proper narrative journalism. We have in-house illustrators, we have in-house photographers, and we make them look amazing and we design all the, uh, you know, the divides between the text and things like that. So we're aiming for a kind of Saturday magazine style journalism for a young audience and people read that so it's it doesn't mean just because attention spans are often short They can't be long or they can't be different people are more more complicated than just one kind of content Obviously, so it's always good to experiment. And I think everyone's doing that which is great. It was really interesting to hear your views on all this So I, I hope you guys enjoyed this as well um, I'd like to thank my producers Susie Lambert. She's over there Thank you very much to BAFTA and Susie for doing putting this all together and for getting us all here tonight I'd like to thank you for your attention and all your questions. And I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them. I'm Kate Bulkley. I've been a joy to do this for you. And I'd like you to join me in thanking David and um, Natalie and John and Louise.